All right. I think we've got our first ever guest on the line. This is the episode one of the Paul Hickey podcast. And uh, very, very honored to have one of my favorite people in the world, Daniel Hickey, my father, also known as <laughs> DPH, also known as Chuckles, on the line to uh, to talk today. Chuckles, how's it going? Really good. Good to hear your voice. I miss you. You know, we're up here in Michigan and you're down in Tennessee. We miss you and Kate and the grandkids and um, looking forward to seeing you here in a couple weeks. I know. We've got a family vacation planned for a few days in Cincinnati, about halfway between us. And uh, yeah, our kids are looking forward to it. I'm pumped to see you. I miss you. And I think this podcast, um, maybe, you, maybe you could be a regular guest. I don't know. We were talking about this yesterday, texting, like, who knows who will listen, but uh, if it gives us more of a reason to talk. I think we there's, we get in some cadences where we, t- where we start talking every day or at least a few times a week, and then there's some weeks that go by where we're both so busy and, and that sort of thing, but um, maybe this will give us more of a reason to talk, and uh, it's really cool technology. We were kind of talking before the show about Anchor, um, basically allowing people to do their own podcast within, within a iOS or Android app. It's pretty amazing. But, um, yeah, so we're going to try some different things today. Episode one, we're going to try to do some different segments and mainly I just thought it would be interesting to talk to you about your, your career. You know, you and I had a quick conversation a couple months ago and I was like, Hey, it'd be really cool if we figured out a way to like write a book together. And I think where that came, where that comment came from for me was like around you tweeting a lot about leadership and mo- and like kind of mo- motivating leaders in the educational world um, to be, basically to be good leaders. And I don't know that I have ever set out and like wanted to be a leader but I think that like throughout my entire life I've just kind of naturally become one whether it be like on the on a sports team or in business or whatever and I've gone through phases where in business where I'm just taking taking tasks from people and um not really leading anything and then I've gone into situations like now in my career where I'm leading a small team and leading a bunch of different projects and so I think when I think of you, I think I think of a leader, and when I think of a leader, I think of you. And so I was just wondering if maybe you could start by giving us an overview of your career and sort of how you've gotten to where you are now with uh, with your business, Hickey Leadership Group, which I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's been uh, oh, almost eight eight years or seven or eight yeah, years, eight, something like eight, that, that you've eight been years. doing that. Eight years. Yeah. Well, wow, Paul, I'll, I'll try not to uh, um, go on too long but um, and, and try to really streamline my background. I, I was in education for 33 years and still um, am working with educators, but uh, I was a classroom teacher for 13 years, and um, then for 20 years, I was um, a building level administrator, starting out as a um, assistant principal, and then uh, was principal of a 
um, middle school here in Rochester Community Schools, Rochester Hills, Michigan, Hart Middle School, and I was uh, principal for seven and a half years and then um, had the um, just incredible fortune to take on the, the challenge of opening a um, brand new high school. And so in 2002, um, we opened Stony Creek High School, uh, and I uh, did eight years there at, at Stony Creek, seven and a half, eight years. So um, that was really um, the responsibility, you know, as a classroom teacher was certainly to learn about instruction and, and try to collaborate with um, fellow teachers in an environment that really is isolating. You know, you don't have a lot of time to sit down and, and talk with colleagues because every 55 minutes, kids are getting up and moving and you have a new class. And, and, um, and at the elementary level, um, you have a self-contained classroom of between 20 and 30 kids all day long. And so there's very limited opportunities to sit down and collaborate. So as a building principal, you know, you you are managing the building, and you are um, really motivating teachers to be positive towards your 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 vision that they know exactly where we're headed. And um, but but you're really involved in evaluations and management, and you know your evaluations touches the instruction and so on. What I'm getting at is in retirement from that position is where I realized that building level leaders, building level administrators do not really spend a lot of time or are given time or are, are provided professional development opportunities in just leadership. Um, and, you know, for instance, the high school where I was at, we had 100 teachers and probably another 50 um, support staff. And then you had another layer of support staff. So you may have had, you know, over 200 other adults that are working in that building. And as a, as a principal, I'm kind of just falling into leadership strategies, leadership techniques, and so on. And many times referred back to as a teacher, I also was a, a varsity basketball coach. You know, a lot of my leadership and so on came from coaching. And um, so in my new work in Hickey Leadership Group, which is a consulting firm, um, a very small firm, um, a lot of my um, role is around talking to building leaders about how are they leading people? Um, how are they trending in terms of their building culture? Uh, and then, of course, we do talk about management and instruction and so on. But leadership is something that um, I really bring to the, the table in terms of discussing because uh, it, it makes a difference. It makes a positive difference in the outcome, hopefully, for student learning um, and just you know, um, developing a positive uh, working environment for all that are part of that learning community. 
talking with Dan Hickey, my amazing father, at Hickey Group on Twitter. Um, great overview of your career, and uh, you just hit on a bunch of different things that I want to ask you about. This is exactly how I knew this would go, so outstanding stuff so far. Um, one thing I think that you and Mom and I always kind of laughed at is, like, if we were watching a TV show, like, the the portrayal of, like, the principal or, or the teacher was always, like, pretty negative, like a cartoon or, like, you know, in pop culture, it was always kind of, like, really, really negative and really, like, um, or just kind of, like, dumb almost. And, and like, the the students could kind of always trick the teacher or whatever. And so um, I just think, like, that's, that's, like, you know, kind of the opposite of, like, what you always were like. And I guess what I mean by that is um, I think you, at least from my perspective, and I never went to a school, I never actually attended a school that you were ever at as a student, but my experience growing up with you as an educator and a, a, a leader and stuff uh, was always around like you really going the extra mile to um, get to know your students and get to know your staff and your fellow, whether it be your fellow teachers or your, or your, your staff when you were assistant principal or a principal. And like, it's that always kind of resonated with me as like extra or above and beyond. And I think like, I guess what I'm wondering if you could talk about is like, what is the job of a of a principal really like i don't think people really understand i don't even think the average adult understands what the job of a principal is or should be or whatever so could you just kind of give me your take on like what is a what is the job description of a principal and then maybe even versus what extra curricular stuff should a principal be doing that maybe they don't even that's not even in the job description um, wow, that's a that's a great uh, question. Um, you know, a, a, a building principal is um, you know there's an incredible job description in most most districts. I work with principals and assistant principals and some central office people in 17 different school districts in the Tri County area of Detroit. And, you know, if, if I were to pull up a job description on the building principal, it would be three pages long. And um, it, it, it ends up being a real catch-all position. You know, you, you really and truthfully are the epitome of the middle manager. You know, you are um, – you have your central office that is on top of you. You have uh, your your building level teachers and staff members and support staff right there. Then you have uh, your your students that are so important, and then you have the parent community. Then you have the business community, and you are really right in the middle of that. You do. Um, make a lot of decisions for your building, but as time has gone on and there is more uh, state guidelines and federal guidelines, but especially depending on the state in which you live, the legislation and legislators have become so prevalent in really top-downing um, a lot of of requirements and a lot of testing and, and responsibilities that are put upon uh, buildings. So uh, right now there is that shrinking autonomy and, and shrinking um, kind of individual 
ability to, to do a lot of things as a principal. So you're that, first of all, you're that mental manager. I'm going to say this, Paul. Uh, when I first was applying for jobs in administration, people would say, don't mention management issues. You talk about being an instructional leader. And what I've realized in my work over the years and now working with so many incredibly talented people is that that management and instructional leadership uh, just goes hand in hand. It's, it's, it, it's integrated. So it's not, it's not only about uh, making sure that the environment is safe for kids and everyone that is there, um, it, it, you know, running fire drills and, and things like that, kind of your basic management. But when you're in a high school of 1,700 kids, you have that amount of people moving around. So your management, your organization, your communication skills, your scheduling, that's all in the area of management. And when you mess up management, it impacts instruction. So meaning if, if I'm constantly changing a, a schedule or a weekly schedule and teachers may have guest speakers coming in or maybe doing a group project with another classroom or whatever, and you switch hours around, that's going to impact instruction. They now are going to have to cancel that or they're going to have to adjust or, or whatever. So that's the example, just a, a, a quick example of how management, when you are not on top of those things, can impact instruction. Therefore, they integrate. And then I would say the, the you know, I, I, I was always taught by incredible mentors, the principals that I worked with, and I think that's an important statement. You know, I always wanted to be a principle that I that people worked with me they didn't work for me and I was lucky enough to have principles that I worked with them uh, that's you know I, I that the staff members and, and my colleagues and so on we were treated with respect and we were allowed to give opinions and and so on and um, so it's very important that a principle sets a tone that that we're working with our staff and and lastly paul and there's so much to that that question and i'm trying not to ramble but the 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 issue of management and instruction and now you add leadership skills you add being intentional and acting with intentionality when you address those leadership skills you will enhance the management of the building and the community, and you will enhance the instructional leadership. So um, that gives you, you know, kind of a quick overview to what a building principal does. You know, it's, it's a small business, you know, mm -hmm. uh, uh, when, when you're talking about um, over 2,000 people under one roof at a, at a good-sized high school, you know, that is a, a legitimate size uh, business. And then it fits into a larger school district. So there you have even, you know, greater responsibility to communicate, you know, uh, up and down the, 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 you know, the school district. So there's a lot to being a building principal. It's not just showing up and, and you know, I think that there are, to be an effective principal, it is a physical job and it is a demanding job because of all of those three components.
management, instruction, and then leadership. Yeah, I mean, that is, uh, there's some amazing stuff in there. And there's, that's basically 41 years of, of uh, experience and to get that perspective that you have, right? I mean, that's like, right. that's a lot. That's really good. <laughs> that's really amazing perspective on, on what that job description is. And I think like, I don't know, my key takeaway there are, well, two key takeaways. Um, one being like the middle, the middle management uh, is so true. The way that you broke that down where you, you're like, you're between the district and you know, you've got, your building and then you've got the district and like basically the community. So you're like in between, you're sandwiched in between those and you, you got to answer to a lot of different people. And like, you kind of talked about um, working with your, your staff and, and uh, not your staff working for you, but you basically work for your staff. And like, and my, my greatest influencers, um, like people that I know, like you and, and other other, um, you know, solid bosses that I've had in the past or solid coworkers that I've had or partners or whatever, all kind of in their own way subscribe to that. And then in my influences that I've never met, like, you know, people like people that I read and, and listen to and stuff like that, um, subscribe to that. And then I think the other, the other cool thing that you mentioned that I just now realized is like that job description and really what it is, um, not only is it like three pages long, but then it's like all this other stuff that you just described, which is really, it's really cool, but it's also really intense. I feel like what it is, is it's like, it's, you have to be, you're running your own business, like you said. And so people that run their own business are entrepreneurs. They're people that have created their own business and, they, but they've made the conscious decision to do that. And then they've gone through like the pains, the, the, the victories, the ups and downs of being an entrepreneur. And like, it can be lonely and it can be exciting and it can, and like all this stuff and they're working long hours, but they're reaping the benefits of it. I don't know. This just clicked for me when I was listening to you. I don't know that like when you go to school to be a teacher and you like, you basically are on the track in order to be a principal, you basically have to be you have to go to school to get a certain set of degrees. You have to, you have to be a teacher. Then you have to kind of rise the ranks to be a principal for the most part. And so I don't know that you're thinking you're not on the entrepreneurial track. Like the entrepreneurial track is something completely different than the educational track. And so I can imagine some of these principals you meet with now, you're sitting down with them and you're like, holy crap, this person is now in a world that they didn't even like they didn't realize they were getting into this world. Is that like ever true? That, that's really a good point, Paul. And I think it's just that third component of leadership and um, uh, you know, they, they, the, the, the track to being an administrator is you do learn your instruction and what makes a good lesson and how do we engage students and that's so important and and you you have had experience as a classroom teacher and you need to stay active on that because as you evaluate teachers you have to stay up on you know different um instructional strategies and and you know the brain research and all of the things that that go on you know in oakland county michigan a, a big thing is ron richard's work making thinking visible so if you're an administrator 
in Oakland County and several of the neighboring districts, you're doing a lot of work and attending workshops and, and really learning what are the techniques of that. Um, and so they, you have that, you have more of an opportunity. And then in terms of management, you're talking with other colleagues about time schedules and how do we move kids and what do lunch hours look like and where do the buses pick you up and, you know, the, the, the management aspect of, of that and your calendar that's going to optimize student learning and, and, and that kind of thing. You get trained, you pick up, you're, you're, you, you learn about that. But the, the third aspect that I never got a lot of training on and, and, um, and really is becoming uh, new in the last five to six years since, since I retired and moved into uh, consulting is this idea of leadership and acting with intentionality. And, you know, now you have educators, you know, I'm, I'm I'm on uh, Flipbook or whatever, and and I'm I, you know one of my one of my books is leadership or productivity or whatever. So, you know I'm reading stuff from Inc. and Entrepreneur and um, all sorts of different magazines and and uh, uh, you know th those things that are produced out there and listening to podcasts and sharing those kinds of things like. Today, I just read an article on the 10 secrets to being a good boss. Well, you know, educators would never look at that kind of stuff, and now we are. Uh, and that's, that's the eye-opener for me. So you're right. You know, it's a different path. And now when you talk about leadership, there, there's kind of some hope that we can enhance our practices in schools as an organization. So... That's great. Yeah, I think it's important. And I don't know. I mean, I think like part of me thinks that you're leading some of that charge in your own community because you believe in it and people respect you. And you've got, you know, you had 33 years of experience before you started. Now you've got 41. And, and uh, it's just like impossible not to to pay attention to you, especially when you're sitting down having kind of a one on one conversation with principals and administrators like you do in your consulting business. But I mean, I hope I hope that what you're saying is happening because I know that like the following it from the other perspective, like the types of people, like my perspective is more from the entrepreneurial side or the business or the like the business side. And I know like what we're looking for. Like I just hired an employee. I don't even know where she went to college. Like I, I, her first day of her first day of her job, I said, "Now where did you go to college again?" And uh, and so <laughs> it's like. I think we're look, you know, we're looking at experience and and uh, different traits within a person, um, and and like the, just the tests that are happening before um, before offering someone a job really aren't aren't as in line. I don't think with like you know the decades and decades of of like well what I grew up with. I mean I grew up with like you've got to have a college degree and you've got to be on this track to get a good job and. I just, my own actions along with um, what, again, what I'm, so what I'm reading, what I'm picking up on, and like you mentioned, like Inc. and Entrepreneur and some of the other magazines, and like there's even this one, there's even this job, uh, this job search website called The Ladders uh, that has a great like uh, email blast that links to their blog. They have some great articles on like um, 
how to be, you know, like how to be a good boss, like those types of things. It's just, it's great that the educational world is aligning with some of that stuff. Um, I'd be curious if you know about, uh, and if you don't, like could be something that you would want to just kind of give me your take on for, for a future podcast with us. Um, but there's this company called Mission U that is basically like an alternative to college um, where it's just a completely different business model. It's for profit, but it's uh, it's where the it's where you have to apply to get in. Obviously, there's a limited number of spots. You do not have to pay for your education, but they train you on how to go work for one of the top companies that are their partners. And I know some of their partners are like Uber and Google and Amazon and some of the top tech companies in, in the, in the world. And the premise is that you pay them back during your career. They take a percentage of your salary for the first, um, I don't know, three to five years or something like that. And then that's how you pay for your education. So it's not like this, it's not like this college loan where it's compounding interest and, hard to pay off and stuff like that. And so, and they're looking, they're looking for like the, the opposite kind of person that would want to go to like an Ivy league school. So it's just, it's really interesting that like the world is actually starting to shift that way. And so I think that what they're trying to do is like these entrepreneurs are basically trying to like break the system so that the educational system in America has to follow suit. If like, if, if people, if students want to get jobs at these companies that everybody wants a job at, then they're going to have, like, changes are going to have to be made. And, and so it's just kind of interesting. But I'm getting off on a rant now. I want to go back to what you said about coaching because I think um, you're, you mentioned being a good coach. And I think that that is something that, like, I always think about that. I always think about coaching. I think coaching is an amazing analogy to business. I know that there are a lot of, coaches that do business talk, um, you know, that get paid to go around the country and do business talks. And there's a lot of athletes that, you know, that, um, that essentially make a second career out of like, you know, making the connection between sports and business and stuff like that. And so there's obviously the connection between being a teacher and a leader and being a coach. And so one thing is, I'm trying to get to a question here, but feel free to just comment on any of this. I guess one question would be, um, you mentioned to me one, once upon a time that when you were a young coach, you were very different than when you had, were a more experienced coach. And so what, maybe just talk about that. Like, I'm just kind of interested in hearing your perspective about like, what you, what it's like when you don't have that much experience and then what, and then that kind of how you grow as a coach or as a leader when you have more experience. Uh, I, I think Paul, I think back to those times and I, I, for me and maybe for some of the listeners out there, uh, I was really um, impressionable, you know, like it, it, Back when I was a young coach, uh, Bobby Knight was just an outstanding coach at Indiana, and maybe he was in his, like, third or fourth year or whatever at Indiana. And uh, and, and so you, you watch how people coach that are successful, and as a younger person, 
like most of us, we, we tend to want to be like somebody else. We want to take on their traits. We want to, you know, if Bobby Knight was this demanding and, and hollerer and this and that, then, then, you know, you go to coaching clinics and you hear him speak and others speak and, and you try to be like them. And I think the same thing happens in um, certainly the profession that I've been in for the last 40 years is, um, you know, back when I was a younger teacher, some evaluators, principals, or APs would encourage you to go sit in another teacher's classroom. And the idea was maybe you could be more like them. And... Um, that really didn't work very well. And, and you know, fast forward uh, 40 years or 30 years or whatever, the research on what makes a good teacher is not um, just the personality or trying to be like somebody else. There's no, there's no perfect um, DNA for an outstanding teacher. And I believe it's the same thing as an outstanding coach or an outstanding, you know, the work that you're doing, Paul. You know, there's no just one way of doing it. You you be yourself, you focus on your strengths, and you try not to be somebody that you're not. You can pick up some ideas and encouragements and skills and try them out for you and see if they work. But, you know, what I've learned over the years is I can't be like Bobby Knight. I can't be like Coach K. I can't be Coach Wooden. I can't, you know, I can't be Tom Izzo, I, you know. So I've got to be Dan Hickey. And, and that's the same thing as I work with principles and so on. It's they know what their challenges are. I don't. You know, I'm not living with them every day. They know what the culture is. And so when we're sitting down in a, a coaching meeting, um, it's really about listening from my point of view and also sharing some ideas or, you know, letting them know, hey, I'm not an expert in this, and you certainly don't have to, uh, you know, be like me or do maybe something that I did, but let me throw this out and just see how that fits for you. Um, it, it's really funny, Paul, when, when I talk to people right now and they say, well, what have you been doing? And I said, well, I'm, you know, I'm a consultant with Hickey Leadership Group and, and, uh, uh, I end up just meeting with building level administrators and district administrators and their teams and so on. And it's kind of a coaching session. And people in business will say to me, why do they need coaching? And um, it's really interesting <laughs> how when you're in a leadership role, there is a lot of loneliness. When you are the lead learner, of a community, there's nobody else that is at that same level under that roof. And it can be extremely lonely. And if you are in a building where you have a team, assistant principals, deans, 
um, interventionist, whatever, so your your administrative team is a little bit larger, there are things that you can share with that team and there are things that you can't because you're evaluating all those people. And I think that's been the eye-opener as I talk to people that are outside of education and don't understand why would anybody in education need coaches. It's just that. It's that there are wonderful people that are in school districts that are evaluating people. But as soon as you are evaluating people, you're no longer in a coaching situation. And so my role is really to not have judgment. And um, I was reading an article, oh, a couple of weeks ago, and they called it a judgment-free zone. I think the author of that was uh, combined Berkowitz and Myers. And and um, I think it was Berkowitz and Myers. I'm sorry, Myers, I'm sorry. But it really spoke to me because it is about kind of to to paraphrase or whatever, you're coaching in a judgment-free zone. If I'm evaluating, and boy, I have just incredible respect for superintendents and assistant superintendents and, you know, former colleagues of mine that are now in those roles, I just admire them so much. They would be great coaches, but they're evaluating those principles or they're evaluating <laughs> – they, they're not mm-hmm. in a coaching uh, position. And so for me, it's about that judgment-free zone. It's developing trust. It is not evaluating them, but really encouraging them to take risks, encouraging them to enhance their practices. So when, when, when you talk about being impressionable, you know, and trying to be like somebody else, to where where I am now, I don't want anybody to be like me and have, you know, my experiences or whatever. It 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 really is about sharing some things, listening, and really encouraging them to be themselves, and 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 to enhance their practices maybe by using some suggestions or ideas that that others have used but not trying to be a Bobby Knight or not trying to be Robert Marzano or Rich DeFore or whatever. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think that it, the minute that you try to be somebody else, then it's inauthentic, and I think your people can pick up on that, right? So, like, I try to be right. cognizant of the same thing where, like, I want to be Gary Vaynerchuk because I love the guy and I'm obsessed with him right now. But I know that, like, I'm not him. And, and the minute I try to be him, I'm, like, totally somebody else. And it's then it would be, like, super obvious to everybody that I'm being inauthentic. Well, you end up all so, losing your effect, effectiveness. Yeah. And, you know, what John Maxwell says, you know, leadership is about influence. And what we want to do is positively have a positive influence on those people in our lives and those people – um, in our profession, professional lives, you know, it, it, and and when we're not authentic, when we're not respectful, uh, when we are too judgy, uh, we end up, um, our influence is not as great. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what's interesting is, I think you and I have the same perspective on this, and I want to get back to a question that I have for you 
that you made me think of, but real quick, my thought on this is like, you can use, and now I'm thinking like introspectively about us, like we can use our influencers to, to motivate us. Like, like you could have used Bobby Knight, like young Dan Hickey could have used Bobby Knight or like, uh, your brother, Brian, like Tom Watson or whoever, right? Like could use that right. person to motivate them. And that's what I'm doing with Gary V right now. Like it is lonely. So if I'm, if I'm like in a, in a space where I need to be pushed or, or coached or whatever, like you can get that mentorship from from one of your uh one of the people that you want to be like but then instead of instead of being like them you just use them to motivate you and become the best version of yourself so that when you have to go back and i think like and i think i don't know if you've ever used this analogy with me but i think you'd probably it would probably resonate with you like i think of the business world as like the the playing field or or the court like i what, it's like it's it's game time basically like there's there's sort of like me when I'm preparing for the game and then there's like me in the game and so when I'm when I'm like getting in the game meaning I'm in front of someone that's kind of when I can use like this motivation from uh you know like the Irvin Magic Johnsons of the world or uh you know the Tom Izzo's of the world or Gary V or whoever to kind of like push me to uh to be that the 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 version of me that I want to be, but not try to be them. So I think that was a really cool point that you hit on. And then, but I wanted to ask you, like, can a can a coach be in a valley? Like, you kind of you kind of hit on this thing in education right now, where it's hard to be. It sounded like what you were saying is, and let me know if I got this wrong, but it sounded like what you're kind of saying is, you're the coach in your role right now with Hickey Leadership Group. And that totally makes sense to me. And I think like our point about an entrepreneur being very similar to a principal probably would, would be the answer to your, your friends who say, well, why do they need, why do they need a coach? But like, can a, can the person evaluating them be their coach? It sounds like what you're saying is like right now at the climate of the educational world, like, the assistant superintendent or the superintendent who's evaluating the principal, like can't be their coach because they're their evaluator. Is that kind of what you're saying? Right. It, it, you, you know, it can happen. Um, and it probably does have to happen. Uh, but you, you know, when you're a superintendent of a school district, you're the district's coach, you know, when you're the deputy superintendent and you have 23 principals in a large district, or if you have seven principals, you're that group's coach. But individually, to mm. have somebody be vulnerable. For instance, when I was when I'm being evaluated, when I was a principal and being evaluated, if I was having a problem in one particular area. I had to really be secure to use my boss, my my evaluator, my supervisor. Um, I had to be extremely confident to be completely vulnerable with them because I was exposing something that maybe I wasn't doing well and that that, you know, maybe I could get dinged on my evaluation. Um, uh, we have more and more people in education huh. that are losing their jobs. 
to, um, you know, just uh, um, evaluations that are poor and just new superintendents coming in and just wanting their own people. You know, I, I guess the, the the business perception of education is that, geez, you, you know, once you get that job, you never get out of it. Well, um, maybe years and years and years ago that was like that, but, you know, in the last 10 to 12 years, that's really changed. So most administrative positions, there is no tenure or no security in that job. You're on a two-year contract, and um, it kind of revolves. Every year you might get, you know, if you get a good evaluation, you'll get an extension to another year, but you don't have a lifetime position. So you've got more and more people in, in these positions that can be very vulnerable and really get dinged for some things that they really don't have control over. So, um, I guess sounds like the sounds like the business world and the entrepreneurial exactly. World a little bit. <laughs> um, but I, I th so that's why education has to change. And I guess what I'm saying, Paul, is from uh, Berkowitz and and Myers in that article. I, I guess it's it's trying to prove um, or support the work that I'm doing, that and what Hickey Leadership Group is doing, that. Mm -hmm. um, those people, you know, individuals that are in these leadership roles can now receive some coaching and, and, and they have a place where they can go that's judgment-free. And hopefully our work at Hickey Leadership Group is enhancing their practice. They're, they're going to get better. And therefore, they're not putting themselves in a vulnerable spot. Um, not that anything's really major. But it's just you have to be able to have somebody that you can go to in a judgment-free zone to really get real. It's hard to yeah, do I with think your what you've done. Yeah, that's brilliant. And I think so what you've done with your business is you, you took 33 years of experience and you kind of asked yourself when you – and I was at your uh, retirement party um, when you retired from Stony Creek – um, in I think 2008 or Nine. 2009, it was the summer of 2009. Cause I remember right. Max, our son was, uh, was born right after that. And Kate and I came up and Kate was, <laughs> was pregnant with Max, but, um, that party was incredible. It was, uh, it was, it was like nothing I've ever seen before. It, it was definitely this incredible, emotional, fun sort of nod to you as like, one of the really one of the best people ever to, and I'm not just saying that cause you're my dad, but like really one of the best people ever in like Southeastern Michigan in the educational and <laughs> the education world. I mean, like 33 you're years, not biased or incredible party. <laughs> I'm not biased or anything, but uh, I no, mean, just yeah. the people that came out and the stories, I mean, like anyone who ever gets a retirement party like that, seriously, that's like, it was clear to me that, and like, I have the perspective on this now. I didn't really at the time, but now I'm, I'm th thinking back to that and I'm thinking you, the way you acted throughout your career led up to that moment. Cause it was all these people who had these little moments with you that they wanted to share. And it was just incredible. So, but segueing into what you did next, I think it's really cool that you used all of that experience and all of those moments that obviously stuck with you throughout all those years to say, Hey, where's the gap now? 
and where, how can I create? It wasn't like, it's clear to me now more than ever, eight years later, that when you started your consulting business, it wasn't like, this is what Dan Hickey wants to do. And Dan Hickey is going to force this upon the world because Dan Hickey has this reputation. It was how, it was, where are the gaps and how can I, as Dan Hickey go in and help, help fill the gap or where's the, where's the, you know, the other thing is like challenge and solution or however you want to phrase that. It's like, where's the gap and how can I fill the gap? And I think that's what you've, that's what Hickey Leadership Group has evolved throughout the years as. And I think that is a lesson. Like, I just want to say, I speak to so many. One thing that I am fortunate of in my career is like, I get the opportunity to hear about so many people's businesses, just like one-on-one from them. And it's usually in a, it's usually in a pre-sale, like they're not my client yet. It's a pre-sale sort of consulting talk about like, well, how would you, like, they're interviewing me in terms of like how I would help their business if they were to, if they were to hire me to help their business grow. But like, what's really cool about it to me is like, I just get to sit there and listen to to someone about someone else's business. And so I get, so through that experience, I've found that there are unfortunately a lot of people that are, they have this idea and they kind of want to force that idea into the world. And then it's like, how can, how can you help me do this? And I think the best businesses are the ones like yours, where it's like, I have this skill set. I want to figure out where the gap is, where the problem is in the world, and then kind of, and then go from there. So um, I think that's awesome. And I know we talked about, uh, so we'll have, we'll have like uh, five to 10 minutes left here. And I know we talked about breaking this up into separate segments, but I think since this is the first time I've used the anchor technology, I'm a little bit leery. I want to, I want to wrap up the podcast with the one call like we've done on the interview and then give the anchor technology time to like, see if it just records all of it. (laughs) And then I feel like if I, if I break it up into separate segments and then try to make another call right away that I don't know, I just don't know about that yet. So I'm just going to ask a few more questions more around um, what, like how you're using technology now. So my first question along this line in I guess what we'll call this segment two, and it'll be it'll be like a shorter maybe maybe ten minute segment is uh, and then we'll wrap up is um, how do you get what tech what tool like you're constantly quoting these leaders that you know you're reading about what technology are you using to to like feed your appetite for this information like what are you how are you getting what what do you do like when you wake up? What are you looking at? How are you getting all this information into your brain? Um, you know, Paul, you, I want you to hang on to that question, and I'm going to answer it, but I want to back up. I want the listeners to know that segueing from retiring from a high school principal to Hickey Leadership Group, I would love to take credit for the fact that I found the gap, and the gap was – coaching um, administrators, but I have been always my whole life so fortunate to be around incredible um, people, incredible mentors and so on. And the the year before I retired, I met with uh, somebody, Larry Thomas, who was at our intermediate and, and um, 
intermediate school district, uh, a countywide school district here in Michigan, and we had talked, and he, he's a former colleague of mine from Rochester Schools, and we were talking about work that I could be doing, and he said there is a lot of work coming, and we're doing something called coaching. Um, we're going to provide coaching for people that come to some of our countywide workshops, and you'd be a real natural for that. And I said, oh, wow, that sounds good. I had no idea what that meant or anything. And then <laughs> the month that I retired, June of 2009, Ed Leadership from the ASCD, Ed Leadership is a monthly magazine that comes up the comes out the cover story was coaching for administrators <laughs> and so my timing was so impeccable <laughs> to make this move now since then you know i've i've had to you know do a lot of things and stuff but boy i i would love to be able to take credit that i knew what the gap was and strategically this is where i moved nope it just so happened that Somebody had recognized some skills that I had from, you know, being a, a, a colleague of his and the timing of, of publicizing this and a kind of a new movement uh, lined up really well with, with my retirement and, and transition into the work I'm doing now. So I wanted to say that's that. great. Uh, that's great. No, I mean, <laughs> Thanks for yeah. I'm glad you back backed up and shared that because I didn't know that, and I think it's interesting that um, that is a key to it also, right? Like it's not. I think you're right. It's not just like hey, you know, I'm gonna find the gap. It's like a lot of times the gap comes to you. Like I think it it comes right. to like you you ask the question to Larry Thomas, and you you know, it was new information for you at the time, and you but then you you listened to his answer. And then you were paying attention to the landscape and it was good. And I do think timing is there's, there's a little bit of luck in it, but I, I think it, I don't know that it's luck so much as it is just kind of like paying attention to the landscape. And, and then like what, when you see the opportunity, like you can go create something for that thing. And at the time that thing was like coaching for educators or whatever and you didn't know what it was right. but you're like hey I think I can I think I can do something with this and it all it all has just kind of continued to to play out and be your story right. and stuff which is cool and and your your technology question that was so interesting because I I think back of all of our um, instructional technology people at Stony Creek and so on that had to hold my hand just about on everything, you know, to, you know, they would joke, gosh, can he turn on a, a laptop? Can he turn on his desktop? <laughs> Whatever. Um, but I've always had an interest. I don't think I'm, I, I've been, like I say, you know, I use a lot of technology now, but I still look at myself as just kind of average at it. I, I don't, I don't think I'm I'm this incredible person with technology. It is becoming, it has become more and more like a pencil, you know, just taking notes. Uh, everything is is probably 98% um, use of PC, iPad, phone, whatever. Um, but I think that's, you know, I'd like to think that that's no different than a lot of people. But with a lot of the people that I work with, um, you know, they, they, they use their basic technology uh, 
but we, you know, we need to grow. We need to do more. And, and boy, are our educators, they've, they've really taken a, a leap in that, in that area. But for me, I, um, I, I try to be intentional in my practice. So I might be working with 55 different people through the Tri-County area. And when I wake up in the morning, um, I try to have a goal. I do have a goal of, um, I use Twitter. Uh, that's my main um, social, social, social uh, media arm that, that I use and, and app that I use. Um, and through that platform, I try to send out two or three tweets every morning and I try to be intentional thinking about the people that uh, I work with. And um, so I, you know, I've changed lots of things. You know, I, 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 I now am using quite often on the tweets, uh, Monday thought from Marzano or Monday thought from Berkowitz or whatever, and then I'll have a quote. But it'll really be um, targeting um, some colleagues that I know may be working on this or in this area. Um, you know, um, I'm, I'm right now. I'm I'm really reminding people about how humbling this position is, how how tough it is, but how humbling it is, and how to lead with humility and so on. So, I'll find quotes or or use some of my thoughts and you know, the two or three tweets that are sent out on a particular day, it may be around humility and um, that kind of thing. Um, but I also sorry, you, uh, just, sorry, go ahead. Well, m m more recently, I've gotten back in touch with Flipbook. So I'll do that. And then I will open up Flipbook and, and go to, you know, kind of my own personal magazines and, and, um, you know, some of the, 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 the topics that I have in my magazines, I'm just opening it up. You know, I have education, I have social media, I have productivity, I have leadership, I have um, apps, uh, mindfulness, teaching, um, technology, uh, and then, you know, I have college basketball and PGA Tour golf, too. So, but I'll... I'll mm -hmm. pop on those and, and look through and see if something resonates. And if something resonates, I will save it to Safari or save it directly to um, either my note app or Evernote. And then during the day when I have gaps in between appointments or whatever, I'll go to Evernote and pull up that article. And, you know, off Evernote, you can mail it to people or even text it to people. So I may mail it to a, a principal or an assistant soup I'm working with or whatever and just say, hey, this is a cool article. Or I may pull out some quotes from that article and, um, you know, certainly give credit to the author and send that out to people and say, hey, I just found this article. You don't have time to read this. Here's a, a couple of quotes or a paragraph from it, and you may want to use it at a staff meeting or something like that. So I'm doing some of the things that um, people in the mix that are, you know, on the uh, right in the middle of it, they just don't have time to 
to do that, nor should they have time to do that. They should be working with their people, you know. So yeah. I try to uh, provide just some some uh, guidance or, or just some ideas or a quote that maybe they could use at a staff meeting where people could talk about the, the, the quote or whatever. So that that's kind of my flow right now. It really is, you know, putting out a couple of tweets, um, looking at Flipboard, saving them to different platforms or apps, and then, uh, you know, sending them out to people or saving them for a one-on-one -on -one and sending that link the night before a one-on-one -on -one to look at, and maybe we'll talk about that uh, at a one-on-one. -on -one. So that's, that's incredible, and I just want to make the point – I want to make a few points here. I'm going to get on my soapbox for a couple minutes. So – I listen to businesses all the time that ask me, basically what I get asked all the time is, how do we grow our business? And I'm looking at the business and it's successful. They have, they have a goal. They want to generate X amount of new leads every month or they want to um, gener generate X, X percentage in sales increases every month or whatever it is. And the thing I tell them all the time before we get started on the work is we're going to help you identify your target audience we're going to build content that's going to resonate with your target audience. And we're going to put that content in front of your target audience where they are. Right. And that's, that's basically what you've been doing. So you've been on, and I'm just going to use Twitter as an example. I know you're doing it in a bunch of other areas, but Twitter, you've been on Twitter for eight years. You have 10,976 tweets. You are following 1,192 uh, people on Twitter you've built up a following of 2,600 followers. I know you're very proud of that. We kind of make fun of you from time to time in the family because you're so proud of that. But I think the point that I want to make is because these businesses that I work with all the time are so frustrated by social media. They don't see the immediate return on investment. They don't, they're not able to allocate resources to it. They basically make up all these excuses saying that it doesn't work. It doesn't provide immediate return on investment or immediate sales or, or, or this, that, and the other. And I just want to make the point that, like, what you just described is a lot of work. You've built up 2,600 followers, which doesn't probably doesn't seem like a large number to a lot of people. But when I go around and compare that number, what I, can, what I know is that 100% of those followers are engaged with you. And it is a larger number than a lot of businesses that are – I mean, you're a one-man show – right now and i know you've had some employees that have helped you out and stuff but pretty much you're driving this thing and you're doing exactly what all businesses need to do even like 500 person companies that want to grow their revenue you're doing what they need to be doing on social media that they're not doing and they have five six seven eight person marketing departments they can hire a firm like mine to do it for them and they're still debating whether or not to do it and you're just doing it and to me, it's just, it's the perfect example of how to connect with your audience. And I, the po a couple of points I want to make is you're tweeting sometimes three, four, five times a day. You never, I'm looking at your Twitter account right now. You never go more than, I mean, you tweet at least once every day. And so the reason I'm saying all this is because these are the questions I get asked. What's the formula? How do we do it? How do we, like, how do we make this work? Let me just ask you this. Would you say that this has helped your business? Would you say that the 
two, three hours a day throughout the day that you're working on, on Twitter as a, as a communication channel, like, would you say it's helped your business? Yes. Yes. But for me, Paul, more importantly, um, where I'm at in my career and so on, I, you know, I, I want it to not only help the business and, and make sure that I've got good relationships with people and they still feel I'm relevant and I can be um, a, a resource and a support. I want it to help other people. So I would say 99% of my tweets are real intentional and they're, they're targeting people without calling them out or with, you know, they're, they're encouraging somebody specific that I know are going through, um, you know, an issue or need a focus on, on things. So, Yes, it has yeah. helped my business because it's something I can refer people to and encourage others to use Twitter and and so on. And that's really happened. We've got a lot of uh, principals and building level people and teachers, just outstanding people that are using Twitter in an appropriate way. Um, you know, social media, when you talk around schools, there's the issues of of kid behavior and, and other behavior that, that causes many people in schools to kind of shy away from social media. But this is an example of how social media can be helpful. Um, and so many people be, before me, um, you know, I, I feel like I'm small potatoes. We have so many educators on Twitter across the country that have hundreds of thousands of followers that, that have really set up nice professional learning networks for all of us to learn. So it's helped my business, but hopefully it's helping others. Yep, that's great. Um, so basically you've averaged four tweets a day for the last eight years. I don't know if you know that, but uh, and then those include those include, include tweets and re- retweets and replies and all sorts of stuff. And that's just, I don't know. That is the formula, basically, is is my point. So I'm I'm really glad you broke that down. And um, my main man, I love you. I got We got to wrap up here. But thank you so much for your time. I hope this uh, I hope this anchor technology works because we've got an hour and two minutes of some amazing stuff here. And uh, I love you tons. And I hope to do this again, man. Love you too, Paul. And uh, so proud of you and the work you're doing. And uh, just wish you continued success as you're building uh, triple D and uh, uh, thank you for giving uh, me this opportunity and love to do it again sometime. Sounds great. Talk to you. Hickey, Hickey leadership group. Episode right. one in the books. Hope to do this again soon, everybody. Thanks for those of you that have taken the time to listen. Really appreciate it.